You are listening to a sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee, the historic church of Robert Murray McShane. For more sermon content, please visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk. Isaiah chapter 44. Uh, I just say to uh, the elders, thank you very much for the books. Could have done without the presentation, but the books are great. Thank you a lot. I really appreciate it. And uh, also, to anyone who is a student who's leaving, uh, please let us know, because if you don't let us know, we won't know. Um, uh, Sam Franci is leaving. He's got a job in uh, Northern Ireland, and we'll say goodbye to Sam this evening. But anyone else who's leaving, please do let us know. And also, uh, to Scott and Jen Stadelsky and to Megan as well, please do uh, pass on our, our prayers and thoughts to uh, those who you know far better than we do in Charleston. We continue to pray for that city. Okay, um, there's, how will I put this? There's a narrative in which we live. There's a a story in which we live. There's a, a background in which we live that will mean that for some of you and for many of your friends, it's impossible to be a Christian And for some of you who profess to be Christians, you're not going to survive if you live in this way. Uh, I want to describe it this way, and then we're going to look at the antidote to that, the, 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 the other way, the other world, if you like, in which we live. People say this. They say you only believe in God because you're ignorant or because that's the way you were brought up. That it's a kind of God of the gaps thing, that as you get to know more, there's less need to believe in God. You will meet people who say, oh yes, I went through that religious phase, but now I've grown out of it. Or perhaps you're actually the kind of person who says, I will believe in God if I have enough evidence. Because you believe that you are able to determine what is right and wrong, that you are able to analyze and to work it out. Or you're like many other people who will say, I make my own meaning my own life. That's what I do. Or you can ask, you can say there are many gods. How can we possibly know? Or you can be a Christian and yet you can have shifted into this way of thinking that means you're tempted to compromise, to give up, to turn away. You can be like Israel was or tempted to be at least in the passage we're going to look at where they had been defeated, where they're center, if you like, had been destroyed, where they had been exiled, where they were surrounded by pagan worship, which seemed to be very clearly superior and winning. Now, I think we live in that world. I think we live in a world where the pressures on those of us who are believers are phenomenal, and the pressures on those who are unbelievers to remain that way are also phenomenal. Where there are people who today would be utterly incredulous that anyone with any ounce of brain power would, uh, not use a phrase like ounce of brain power either, <laughs> but anyone with any inch of brain power, whatever it is, uh, would, would, could not believe in God. That would just be totally, totally impossible. It's the world that we live in. 
And I want to suggest to you that if you can imagine that that's the screen over here, that's the backdrop, there's another screen that's over here that is very, very different. And that the screen that's over here, if you like, is the reality. So we'll turn to Isaiah 44. Um, I'm sorry, I had a, a whole bunch of uh, slides and so on, but for some reason it all got corrupted. And I almost, the reason we started the service so late was I think my uh, USB stick probably corrupted the, the computer as well. But if you've got a Bible, and hopefully, and if you don't and you want to see this, you'll get one at the back. Isaiah 44, page 729. We're going to read from verse 6. This is what the Lord says Israel's King and Redeemer, the Lord Almighty. I am the first and I am the last. Apart from me, there is no God. Who then is like me? Let him proclaim it. Let him declare and lay out before me what has happened since I established my ancient people and what is yet to come. Yes, let him foretell what will come. Do not tremble. Do not be afraid. Did I not proclaim this and foretell it long ago? You are my witnesses. Is there any God besides me? No, there is no other rock. I know not one. Now, Isaiah is told or tells the people, God's people, to remember. And a lot of what we're doing in, when we hear God's word, when we're coming to church, is remembering, setting us, moving us out of this context in which we live, moving us into the context of the reality of God's word. And uh, I list in the verses we're going to look the things to remember. I divide them into three, and there's seven in each three, so there's 21 points. So I hope you've got your packed lunch. No, I'll, I'll not. Obviously, by definition, I'm not going to be able to, to go into them all. But I'm going to list some of them and then comment on two or three. Verses six to eight that we've just read, we've got to remember who God is. He's Israel's king and redeemer. That's the first. He's the Lord Almighty. That's the second. The third is he is the first and the last. Now, let's pause with that one a moment. He is the one who made, who formed you in the womb. He's the first and the last. Idols, idolatrous worship, only has what their makers give to them. The first and the last simply means this. Not that uh, God is the first to come into being and he's the last one to die. But it's simply saying that from him comes all power. Now, we'll see the significance of that in a moment. Comes all power and all light and all life. He is the only self-existing being in the whole universe. All the rest of us, all the rest of us, every other creature, every being, everything has a beginning, has an end. All of us are dependent. None of us are absolutely independent. The only person who is absolutely independent is the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that is really important for us to remember, especially when we're liable to say, well, uh, I'm, uh, God is who I think he is, or God needs me. God doesn't need any one of us at all. He is the first and last. As it says of Jesus in Revelation, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning of the alphabet, the end of the Greek alphabet. He is also the only God. We're told not to tremble or to be afraid. Because, again, the danger is there are many gods. How do I know which one is right? 
And isn't it an enormous temptation in the culture in which we live to fall into the trap of saying, well, there's this form of religion and that form of religion and that form of religion and therefore different gods and therefore we don't know which one is right and therefore our religion is just our culture and therefore we can move away from it and therefore we can change our picture of God and God says, no, there's only one God. Not only one culture, not only one, if you like, understanding or expression, but there is only one God. And I'm constantly hearing from people, yeah, but which one? The answer is the one, the only God. You cannot have two self-existent beings who are almighty, all-powerful, and all-knowing. You can't have two. Logically, that is an absolute impossibility. So when we're talking about God, we're talking about this being that is all-powerful and all-knowing and almighty, the one and only. He's the establisher of Israel the establisher of the church. It's his church. He's the knower of the future. He's the only one who understands all history from the beginning to the end. Let him foretell what will come. Let us say what's going to happen. Let him say what happened when I established my people. And that's an important thing just to take a pause as well. I've recently been reading A.N. Wilson's biography of Queen Victoria. Now, most of you will have some idea of who Queen Victoria is. Our own, until this September, she will have been the longest reigning monarch in British history. But our, our own uh, queen will uh, become longer than her, which is really quite extraordinary. But I've been reading this biography of Queen Victoria, and it's reshaped my thinking about the British Empire and um, Queen Victoria and where we've come from as a country. Because I keep going, oh, I didn't know that, and I didn't know that. And I didn't know that. And that's always going to be the case. I'm very grateful for these books. You can never have too many books. Now, you need to understand that. All houses should be built with permanent shelves all over the place. Because you can never have too many books. Uh, except you're not going to be able to read them all. But every time you're reading something, you're going, wow, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. You're learning. At least I hope you are. Here's the difference between us and God. God never says, I didn't know that. When we pray to God, we're not telling him something he didn't know. He's not, God never discovers anything that he did not know. It says here that uh, who is like God? Let him lay it out. Let him lay out the plan of history. We can't do that. We, we know so little. Who is our God? Our God knows the beginning from the end. Please do not look at the state of our culture and go, wow, God didn't see that one coming. He knows exactly what is happening. He's the knower of the future, and he's the rock, a symbol of refuge. The privilege yesterday of going up to Cortiki Castle, and uh, if you've never been up there, go up there. Um, and actually, it, it's, um, it's for rent. So uh, the Lord early is or Aelith, I can't remember his name, is moving out, and he's willing to rent it to somebody. So if you want a castle, then go. We'll do a church plant up there. It's fantastic. It's got its, own, um, it's got its own church and everything as well. Absolutely gorgeous. But in the river, as you're walking up the river beside the castle, and it really is idyllic, and you see this bridge crossing over the river and the trees and everything, the flowers and the shrubs and, and so on. And by the way, perfect place for a wedding. It's got this wee uh, kind of tunnel of tunnel of love, you know. It's uh, the, the the branches and the flowers and everything. Honestly, you're going to think this is fairyland, and it's just wonderful. It's just glorious. 
But um, in the middle of the river, there's this massive rock, just this huge rock, as though it's just been plunked down there. And you're looking at that and you're going, no matter what happens, no matter what flood comes, that ain't moving anywhere. It's not going. It's unchangeable. It's solid. It's real. You can shelter behind it. You can stand on it. That is the image of God. Our God does not change. He is unchangeable. No matter what the theologians say, no matter what the politicians say, no matter what the culture says, no matter what the so-called wise say, our God does not change. Those are the seven things about God. Let's go on verse 9 and read uh, seven things about the foolishness of not believing in this God. All who make idols are nothing, and the things they treasure are worthless. Those who would speak up for them are blind. They are ignorant to their own shame. Well, actually, let me just stop there. Say one of those seven things. Not believing in God, creating either creating idols in any form, is just well, he's going to go on and talk about how stupid it is, but it's stupid because it's unreal, because it's nothing. It is the worst sin of all, because if you create an idol, you're putting God to the periphery of your life when he should be at the center. Israel is faced with the temptation of idolatry all around, and they're told not to. Now, the instant repost to that for most people is, I don't worship idols. You'll not find me going home, as I've been in some homes in Dundee, and there's an elephant god on the mantelpiece. You're not going to find that. I don't worship idols. That would be the objection that most people would have. And I would say, actually, you do. You do because anything that you put at the center of your life that is not God is an idol. For example, Paul in the New Testament says greed is idolatry. If you're a greedy person, that is idolatry. And it's nothing. It's empty. It's utterly useless. There is a, um, a feeling, I, I would call it existential angst. If you believe uh, certain things about the world, if you believe a naturalistic, materialistic worldview, as you think about that and work out what it means, it leads you to this feeling that everything is completely pointless and a waste of time. And you, get, you do get that existential angst. And you do, if, if, if you're really uh, into literature, reading someone like Jean-Paul Sartre or Albert Camus' L'Etranger, The Stranger, uh, that gives you a real feeling of where this angst, what it feels like, what it is. Because it's emptiness. It's the emptiness of life without God. And it's blind, he says. Those who would speak up for them are blind. It's a blindness that comes from an inability to see because of an unwillingness to face reality. Romans 1, for although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God or gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. See, here's the thing. You do not disbelieve because you are cleverer. You disbelieve because you shut your eyes and you refuse to see. It's blind. It leads to destruction. Who casts an idol? 
Who, who shapes a god and casts an idol which can profit him nothing? He and his kind will be put to shame. Craftsmen are nothing but men. Let them all come together and take their stand. They will be brought down to terror and infamy. The blacksmith takes a tool and works with it in the coals. He shapes an idol with hammers. He forgets it. He forges it, rather, with the might of his arm. He, get, he gets hungry and loses his strength. He drinks no water and grows faint. The carpenter measures with a line and makes an outline with a marker. He roughs it out with chisels and marks it out with compasses. He shapes it in the form of man, of man in all his glory, that it may dwell in a shrine. He cut down cedars or perhaps took a cypress or oak. He let it grow among the trees of the forest or planted a pine and the rain made it grow. It is man's fuel for burning it. Some of it he takes and warms himself. He kindles a fire and breaks bread, but he also fashions a god and worships it. He makes an idol and bows down to it. Half of the wood he burns in the fire. Over it he prepares his meal. He roasts his meat and eats his fill. He also warms himself and says, Ah, I am warm, I see the fire. From the rest he makes a god, his idol. He bows down to it and worships. He prays to it and says, Save me, you are my god. You know what the first law of thermodynamics is? That energy cannot be created or destroyed, just move from one system to another. The second law, basically heat naturally flows from a hotter to a colder body. It's the law of entropy. It says everything is running down. It's a law about inefficiency and de degeneration and decay. The second law of thermodynamics tells us that ultimately all we do is inherently wasteful and that there are irreversible processes in the universe. That gives us an arrow, if you like, for time, and it tells us, though, that our universe has an ultimately bleak fate. In other words, everything is winding down. Your body is winding down. Your home is winding down. You know your car is winding down. You know that your iPhone wore down the minute you bought it. That's it. You need a new one within a week, according to Apple. You know that everything is winding down, and the whole of life seems to be a resistance to that fact. But this earth is winding down. And what Isaiah is saying here is saying, look, these men are making idols that are not eternal, and the idols themselves, they're not a source of energy and light, but they're being made by men who get hungry. And they bow down and they pray to these idols while they themselves are getting hungry. He's saying it's pointless, it's, it, it's profitless. There's a temporary glory. He's saying it's irrational. Verse 18, they know nothing, they understand nothing. Their eyes are plastered over so that they cannot see and their minds closed so they cannot understand. No one stops to think. No one has the knowledge or understanding to say, half of it I, bake, I use for fuel. I even bake bread over its coals. I roasted meat and I ate. Shall I make a detestable thing from what is left? Shall I bow down to a block of wood? Listen to these words. They know nothing. They understand nothing. Their eyes are plastered over. We believe because of what we know, not because of what we do not know or because of what we fear. Francis Genome, Francis, sorry, Genome, Francis Collins, head of the Human Genome Project, uh, in one of his books, talks about he, how he came to belief because of what he knew, not because of what he did not know. 
And I want to say this about atheism. Why atheism is ultimately foolish is not because it is rational. It is because it is irrational. It is because people do not think. The idol, by definition, cannot rise above its human origin, nor its material basis. And here's the thing. If you do not believe in God, nothing you have can rise above your own humanity. When people go, I make my own meaning, I wonder that they cannot see how empty that is. I think these two verses are a devastating analysis of the human mind because I think they're telling us this. Our minds are not capable of judging the existence or non-existence of God because our minds themselves are so corrupt. We can't take to heart. We can't think. We can't look at the plain facts. We can't analyze, sift, and prove the truth. Instead of being able to judge God or the existence of God, we can't even see our own situation. We are blind. Our eyes are plastered over. There's a suggestion here that the eyes have been plastered over by somebody. The New Testament tells us that the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers. I do not, as a believer, hear my non-believing friends and go, Wow, they're so intelligent, they are so smart, that's why they don't believe in God. I simply just say they are blind, they are blind. It is abject foolishness, and it doesn't satisfy. He feeds on ashes, verse 20. A deluded heart misleads him. He cannot save himself or say, is not this thing in my right hand a lie? It does not satisfy Feeding on ashes. He feeds on ashes. Some of you will have seen that wonderful interview with Russell Brand uh, by Jeremy Paxman. And Paxman asks him about his life and his fame and his wealth. And Brand says, yes, I've got all these. I've got the fame. I've got the wealth. I've got all of this. But it's like ashes in my mouth. I doubt that Russell Brand knew that he was quoting Isaiah or the same phrase in Jeremiah. It's ashes. I don't know if you've ever eaten ashes. Uh, You don't want to. Tasteless, disgusting, dry. All that this world offers, all the religions of this world, all the philosophies of this world, without God are ashes in our mouth. And therefore, he says, we cannot save ourselves. He cannot save himself. The result of human effort cannot rise above the human. If you want to call, if you look at the second law of thermodynamics, here's a law of basic logic and a law of basic humanity. A human being cannot rise above humanity. And I'm sorry, but humanity is not enough. It's not enough to go to somewhere like Cortiki Castle and just look and see this stunning beauty you know that there's something beyond humanity, something more. If you take all of this, then what we are being told is when you don't accept the God of the Bible, you become hooked, you become deluded, you are bound. Who is going to rescue us? Well, verses 21 to 23, just to finish off with seven things about the joy of following Jesus. Sing for joy, O heavens, Uh, Sorry, remember these things, O Jacob, for you are my servant, O Israel. I have made you, you are my servant, O Israel. I will not forget you. I have swept away your offenses like a cloud, your sins like the morning mist. Return to me, for I have redeemed 
you. Sing for joy, O heavens, for the Lord has done this. Shout aloud, O earth beneath. Burst into song, you mountains, you forest, and all your trees. For the Lord has redeemed Jacob. He displays his glory in Israel. Now, if you are a Christian, please take this on board. Please, if nothing else, take this on board. There's the way that you're being pushed to think over here. There's the pressures of media and family and schools and colleges and friends and everything else. And over here is the truth. And to remember the truth, you need to keep coming to the Word of God because our minds are constantly bombarded by lies about God and attractive alternatives to serving Him. And unless you meditate on Scripture, you will, you will you'll not be able to stand And that's why I take the time to say this. You know what coming to hear God's word is like? It's like you're covered in dust. You're covered in dirt. And you come into a shower and you are cleansed. As you go through this week, you are going to be bombarded with stuff, some of which will cling to you. It will cling to your spirit. It will cling to your soul. It will be oppressive to you. It will burden you. Some in a great heavy way, some just speck by speck by speck. But when you come to hear God's word, what happens is God washes us and God cleanses us. And in the words of Paul, our minds are renewed. So we see things clearly again. Instead of the blindness and irrationality of the mind of man, now we come to know the mind of God. Who knows the mind of God except the Spirit who dwells within him? The Holy Spirit brings his word and applies it to us. So God's people should always ponder the truth that we know. I like reading a a man called John Flavel, a Puritan. I like reading him as part of my devotions in the morning. I only read a few pages each morning. And so often... I find that I'm coming oppressed and burdened and so many different things. And just one light of gospel truth, one thing. And I'm going, wow, I wish everyone could know that. And it's like cleaning your hearts, cleaning your soul. Seven things, I've made you. What do humans do? They make idols. But God has made Israel. God has made his people. God does not make idols. God has made his church. Two, you are my servant. We'll look at more of that uh, in future weeks. Three, I won't forget you. The idols forget. Your fellow human beings forget. I won't forget you. Four, I've swept away your offenses like a cloud, like the morning mist. I've blown it away. Do you understand how wonderful that is to know that God has taken every ounce of your sin God has taken every black spot. God has taken every wrong deed and every single bad thought and every aspect that is so contrary to his nature and he has swept it away because of what he has done in Jesus Christ. I have redeemed you, he says. And I love it. He says, I've redeemed you. Return to me. I've redeemed you. Come back. We so need to return. Luther's great teaching that we, we need repentance every single day. And do you know why? Because we get dirty, because there is the rottenness still within us, still working its way out, the poison being drawn. And God says, it's okay. 
I have redeemed you, I have redeemed you, I have redeemed you. Come back, come back. And almost every single day we are repenting. I hope every single day we are. It's just great to be a Christian, to know that however much you screwed up this past week as you're hearing God's word, God is saying to you, I know, remember I'm the God of history, you didn't surprise me. I know, I know you. I know what you've done. Now come back, come back, come back, all the time. Ruth was upset reading Ephesians and apologized to me. Why? Don't apologize for being moved at this wonderful thought that you would know the love of God. That's extraordinary. In fact, apologize if you can read it coldly, as though it's just scripture that you just go, no, this is God telling us. It's extraordinary. I doubt that Paul wrote that without tears. I really do. What does he say? I'm redeeming the whole creation, so sing. Here's a thought. Trees and animals are not idolatrous. The only idolatrous things are human beings. The creation sings for God's glory. The human beings cut down the trees to make a lifeless object to worship when the trees themselves, here we are told, they sing. Burst into song, you forests and all you trees. God causes them to sing as they are. Mankind cuts them down to make idols that we would bow before and worship. How blasphemous, as well as stupid, that is. And even more extraordinary, God displays his glory not just in the trees, but in Israel, his people. We are ugly, aren't we? There's so much sin. If you want to, we could stand up and list one another's sins and list our own sins and the ugliness that exists within our own hearts. And yet God says, but I'm revealing my glory in you This is the most wonderful thing. God is taking people out of the miry pit. He's taking them out of the filth. He's taking them out of the rottenness of their own hearts. And he's transforming them into the image of his son. Sing, it says, sing. Do you know this? I'm sure this was Flavel. It certainly wasn't me, but I just thought it was a wonderful thought. It is impossible for idolatry to get hold in a joyful, praising heart. You cannot worship idols when you are praising God, when you have a joyful, praising heart. Let me say this to those of you who are not believers. I'll go back to Russell Brand, who's not a believer, but sometimes comes close to understanding. In that same interview with Paxman, when talking about all the things in idolatry, he says, isn't it the case that idolatry is just chasing after God? in another form. All these things are just chasing after God in another form. Paxman says, do you believe in God? Brand says, yes, and then goes off into some new age waffle. So we've got a wee bit of work to do with him yet. But he says something that is phenomenal. He says in that interview, why chase after the shadows on the wall when you can have the source of light itself? Now you think about that. Why chase after the shadows on the wall when you can have the source of light itself. And I just think of this. I am the light of the world, says Jesus. He who believes in me will never walk in darkness. I am the way, the truth, and the life. You can live in this world where humanity is the, the top, 
where humanity, everything is just how human beings work it out and see the mess that we've made. You can have your eyes plastered over if you wish or you can choose to come here and to walk into the light to follow Jesus Christ, not knowing everything, not understanding everything, but knowing there is so much to know. 21 points. Got through them. I thought I'd get through them in 21 minutes. Didn't quite manage that, but 21. We haven't, we're just scratching the surface. There's so much underneath, so much that is wonderful. When the enemy comes in like a flood, remember you've got this book. Remember that you have got God. Remember you have the mind of God. And the love of God will so overwhelm you that you cannot even read about it without being stunned by its glory and its beauty. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word and thank you that you bring your word to your people to enlighten us, to bring us light in the midst of darkness. And thank you that it's a word about you. And that's what we need. We are so self-obsessed. Help us to look beyond ourselves. And Lord, I pray that if there is anybody in here whose heart, whose eyes are still plastered over, whose heart is still cold to you, Lord, I know that there is nothing that can be said on its own which will change that except your Holy Spirit come and take your word and apply it. And I pray that you would open the eyes of the blind that they would see, open the hearts of the dead that they would have new hearts and new life. And I pray for those of us here who are struggling with the world that we live in. Lord, help us to to bathe and to luxuriate in the reality of your love and of what your scriptures say, that no matter the pressures and the forces and the troubles and the sicknesses and the discouragements and the depressions upon us, lift our eyes, O Lord, beyond the storm to see Jesus and in seeing Christ to live. For we ask it in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee. If you found this sermon has been helpful to you, please help us to continue building up and assisting the people of God. Visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk For information and training on persuasive evangelism and how to share your faith biblically, please visit the website of SOLAS, the Centre for Public Christianity, at solas-cpc.org. Once again, that website address is solas-cpc.org. Thanks for listening.